Thank you for taking time to listen to this message from New Life United Methodist Church. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. We invite you to join us for worship each Saturday evening beginning at 5.30. New Life is located at 8301 Mitchell Road in McChesney Park, Illinois. For information on New Life or our ministries, go to findnewlifeumc.org. You can also send financial contributions to New Life UMC, P.O. Box 2034, Loves Park, Illinois, 61030. To honor copyright laws, some audio portions may have been removed. Again, thank you for listening. From the inside out, we ask for your grace more than enough for each of our lives this day. Pray and thanks in your name. Amen. Jeff, I'll let you restart the system if you need to do that, and you may be seated. I want to welcome all of those joining us on our simulcast and our podcast. Uh, remember, you can check out any of our teaching times at www.findnewlifeumc.org or go on iTunes or Apple Music. I haven't searched Apple Music yet um, to figure that out. Uh, and look up New Life UMC. We're starting a new series today, uh, three weeks called Fighting Words, or Fighting Words, I should say. As we start, we're going to read from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, if you have your Bibles with you. Luke chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. Chapter 4, verse 16 is where we're going to begin. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor had come. Now he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed upon him. He began to explain to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled, just as you have heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by his gracious words that were flowing from his lips. They said, Is this Joseph's son? Then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly, you will quote this to me, Dr. Heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. He said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in that prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it did not rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them but the widow of Zephathah in the region of Sidon. There were so many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. And said Naaman, the Syrian, was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up, ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of a hill of their hometown that they had been built upon so that they could throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went his way. As the Lord bless our reading of Scripture this day. 
Some of you know for Lent, I gave up arguing on Facebook. Seemed like a good thing to do. I probably should have kept that good habit for after Lent. As these last few weeks have been maddeningly difficult for me to keep my mouth shut on social media. There have been a lot of arguments, and the Apostle Paul, as well as Jesus and Peter and several others, encourage us not to argue with brothers and sisters, not to have hearts that are set upon that kind of confrontation, but sometimes you get so upset and you hear these arguments, and I read these arguments from Christians to other Christians, yelling, ranting, and raving, just like everyone else does on social media. If you're not on it, don't get on it. It's awful. It's a terrible thing. It has some advantages, but... And the most difficult thing I hear is, it's okay as a Christian, it's okay to say whatever you want and to be as mean as you want and cruel as you want and difficult as you want as long as you end your little sentence with, I'm just speaking the truth in love. Then it's okay. You can say whatever garbage you want. You can say whatever hurtful and hateful words you want, as long as it's ended with a quote from Scripture. I try to be open. I try to challenge myself to my understanding of Scripture and God's will on a daily basis, but I find it increasingly difficult to be patient with those arguing. But I know we need to treat our brothers and sisters with respect. We need to treat people who view things differently than us with respect. We have to learn to listen and to understand, even if we believe fervently that we are correct. We still have an opportunity to listen, to love, to reach out. But I wanted to look, at, in just in a few weeks, I wanted to look and see, okay, what were those things Jesus was willing to fight for? Because sometimes I am truly, truly angry about the hate about the hurt, about the pain that is in our world. And I wanted to see what was Jesus willing to fight for? What was Jesus willing to argue about? We often as Christians have in our head this picture of Jesus who is kind, compassionate, a friend, a brother, a teacher, a man who spoke of peace and love. But every once in a while, Jesus got riled up. Every once in a while, he said or did something that got other people angry, sometimes with his words, sometimes with his actions. And there are a few instances, and that's the instances we're going to talk about over the next week, where people were so upset by what Jesus said or did, they wanted to kill him. And ultimately, they did. So Jesus was willing to die for some of these things that he said. He was willing to die for some of these things that he did. So I wanted to look and see what was Jesus willing to fight for. So today we read this passage from Luke chapter 4. Now I've never been run out of my hometown for something I've said in church yet. There's always hope. I love those people. Someday they drive me crazy too. But truthfully, most of the sermons that I've preached have not been in my hometown. <laughs> and most of the sermons Jesus preached were not preached in his hometown. But we hear this story. Jesus had been out in the wilderness, right? Where he had been tempted by Satan. He had overcome those temptations. And he came back filled with the Spirit, 
ready for his ministry. He even, along the way home, he even healed and performed miracles in Capernaum. And so on Saturday morning, when you're supposed to have church, on the Sabbath, Jesus goes to synagogue, goes to church. And it's a little different than maybe we, we would do, but he reads from the prophet Isaiah, and then he sits down because preachers in those days sat. Seems like a good idea sometimes. <clears throat> they could preach longer that way. That's why we stand these days so we don't keep going on and on and on. And he reads from the prophet Isaiah. He teaches from the prophet Isaiah. And this is probably his shortest sermon on record. Because at the end of the sermon, the church folks got up, ran him out of town up to the hill, and tried to throw him off a cliff. So whatever he said in this sermon must have been worth fighting for because Jesus almost died for it. Whatever happened must have been pretty intense. So here's a couple of things that I didn't even really think about until I was studying this week because I just always assumed there were certain reasons why Jesus made everybody so upset here in Luke chapter 4. The first is one I talked about pretty extensively on social media, if you read the kind of stuff that I write. You see, back in those days, they didn't have books, right? This kind of form of the Bible didn't come along, well, this one didn't come along until 2013 or 14, <clears throat> that particular translation, but the kind of idea of codexes didn't come along until the Middle Ages. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, of course, people didn't have anything kind of writing. They just told each other stories, right? We call that an oral tradition. And eventually people started to write things down on kind of primitive paper, papyrus, and, and other kinds of things. And by this time, the Jewish people had been pretty good at creating scrolls. And so the books that we call the Old Testament wouldn't have been in book form, because books didn't exist when Jesus was alive, but they would have been in individual scrolls. So there was a scroll for the prophet Isaiah, a scroll for the prophet Hosea, a scroll for maybe uh, Genesis, a scroll for perhaps even the whole Torah, the first five books, that would have been a big scroll. And there were no chapter headings, there were no chapter numbers, there were no verses, and there were no vowels. You think you have trouble reading the Bible? Try imagining a giant scroll with no chapter headings, no numbers, no vowels. I'm not sure how anybody did it, but they made it happen, and they memorized it. And so Jesus opens this scroll. He opens it to where he wants to read it. May have taken a few minutes. Figure Jesus, he knows how to, you know, find it. He knows his, you know, sword drills. If he ever did that in Sunday school, he knows where his scripture was. And he opens the book and he reads Isaiah 61, verse one and two. He didn't, you know, he didn't jam in a whole bunch of scripture. He just reads Isaiah 61, verse one and two. But he does so with a twist. See, he changes the language to say that he came to mend the brokenhearted and recovering, or he came to recover sight to the blind instead of to mend the brokenhearted. If you look in my Bible, in Isaiah chapter 61, it says, I will come to mend the brokenhearted. Jesus is saying, I came to recover sight to the blind. Now, it could be that Jesus is actually reading the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which means 70. And that was how it was translated back then. Now, biblical translations is, 
is a whole study and course in your life um, that we could spend a lot of time on. But I want you to realize that this may be one of the reasons people were upset because Jesus was maybe changing scripture a little bit, right? If I got up here today and I started, you know, eh, let's see, um, you know, a letter from Paul to the Romans. Hey, Romans, how are you guys doing today? I like your domes and stuff. You'd be upset, right? Because I'm just making stuff up at that point. So when we change things, sometimes people get angry. We would get angry if that's how it happened. So are they angry because Jesus was playing with Scripture? Well, it doesn't seem to be the case. It doesn't seem that they are upset whether Jesus was reading from a translation they were uh, used to or whether he just took his own twist on it. It doesn't seem to be something that is upsetting. But maybe it was his sermon. And this, for me, has been always what I assumed they were angry about going into my study this week. He sits down and he says this. This is a great sermon. Today, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now remember, let's go back a few years. The Israelites, for hundreds of years before Jesus was alive, were desperately crying out for God to send them a Savior, for God to send them a Messiah, someone to release them from their constant captivity, constant oppression, constant suffering. There was a man called David who became king, and he united the entire country of Israel, all 12 tribes. He was a Messiah for them, and they had prayed that he would come back. That a man like David would rise and he would come and they would follow him and they would be free. Remember, they were under Roman oppression, Roman rule, Roman taxation. And it was not a good thing to be a Jew in the time of Jesus' life. Unless you decided to work for Rome. And in that case, you were a traitor. You were unclean. And you weren't part of your community anyway. So they were crying out for a Messiah and so Jesus stands up and says, hey, I'm the Messiah. Somebody did that today, you'd be pretty upset, wouldn't you? Or you'd think they're crazy. And so I always thought, well, they got upset because Jesus just stood up and said, hey, I'm the Messiah. Mic drop. The end. Walk out. Right? It's kind of a mic drop moment. It is. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says they were raving about him. They were excited. They were losing their minds because Jesus said, hey, I'm the Messiah. And they said, what? We've been waiting for you. Great. I'm glad you're here. They were excited. I don't know how I missed that for 30 odd years. They were excited. It, it says in the CEB, I love it. They were raving about Jesus. So why did they run him out of town? Why were they so upset? Unfortunately, he continued his sermon. That, for a lot of preachers, that's what happens. We continue to talk and then we get in trouble. And this is what he does. He, he speaks of Elijah and Elisha and their ministries. These are two important prophets in the history of Israel. And remember, Elijah was the one who was coming before the Messiah. And Jesus says to them, Elijah came... And when people needed him, when his people needed him, he went 
and help someone else. And then Elijah, his student, when people needed him, he went and he helped someone else. And so Jesus is saying this, and this is why everyone got mad. I am the Messiah, but I came to save other people. I'm the Messiah, but I'm not just here for Israel. I'm the Messiah, but I'm here to talk to the Gentiles too. I mean, imagine, think about it for, your, for a second. Just, just think uh, something in your life that you desperately wanted. Say a boat, okay? Let's just make something up. Say a boat. Say your, your entire dream, you, you, you want a houseboat. I love houseboats. They're beautiful. I love boats just in general, but yeah, I, I love being out on a houseboat. And just a, a beautiful houseboat. And, and you've been, you know, you have it in your mind. You've wanted it for decades. You saved, you know, the kids got out of the house. Thankfully, you're done paying for them. You know, you've been saving some money up. You're ready to retire. And then you're, you're just about ready. Uh, and then something happens and you lose all your money, right? And then somebody comes, one of your family members, Let's say they win some money and they, they come and they have a houseboat. And, and they, they come to your house and they're saying, look, I have a houseboat. I've come to bring it to your neighbor. Some of, it takes some of you a little bit longer to catch up than the other, right? Say they come with it, they show you, and then they bring it to somebody else. You might be upset too. These people were so upset because Jesus said, I'm coming to save everyone, not just you. And so they got so upset, they ran him to the top. We think sometimes Nazareth was this uh, like little dinky town. Nazareth was probably had 20,000 people. It was a hub between Asia and Africa and Europe of the time. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it was a big, busy place. And it was kind of built on a hill. And so they took him up to the top of the hill, and they were going to throw him off. They were so angry, they were ready to kill him. I've not been that angry many times in my life, but a whole group of people were so angry, they wanted to kill Jesus. Think about it. Gentiles, that's who Jesus was talking about. Gentiles, the non-Jews, they didn't know the law of Moses. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't read Bibles at all. They didn't belong to the covenant between God and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who was called Israel, and Joseph. They were the ones oppressing the Jews, right? Romans were Gentiles. They were sinners. They were unclean. They were murderers and harlots and other things that I don't know how to say in Greek and in Hebrew. So the religious folks were upset with Jesus. I imagine if Jesus came to church today, and he opened the Bible. We have Bibles now. And he turned to Luke chapter 4 and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to send, to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovering of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he went on to say, I came to do that for other people, the people who aren't in church. We might be mad too. But if Jesus came to thee, that's what he would do, right? He would not come and say, I came to save you because I'm preaching to the choir. He said, I came to save the people who aren't here yet. I came to save the people who haven't made it yet, the people who we are pushing away, the people who you have pushed away in my name. 
So I want to stop and just reflect, and I hope you take this reflection into the week, on each of these statements. And this is what Jesus came to do. He says this. This is the start of his ministry in Luke. He says, this is what I've come to do. And if that's what Jesus came to do, then that's what we as Christians should do. So I want to read each one of these phrases, and I just want you to reflect on them, and I want you to talk about that this week and think about this week. Who are these people in your life? What does this calling in your life look like? If you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is your work too. This is your calling too. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. Now, unless we're exceptionally rich, we tend to think of ourselves as poor, right? Or at least we think we could use a little bit more, like a boat. That would be nice. But who are the true poor in your lives? Who do you need to share good news with? Not just the financially poor, but maybe, but those who are poor in spirit and health. Who do you preach, or how do you preach good news to the poor by your words, by your actions? by your use of your gifts and your graces. Jesus came to proclaim release to the captives. Who are those imprisoned in your life? Are you called to ministry to those people who are in jail or in prison? Are there those in your world and in your life who are prisoners to addiction or debt or culture or mental illness or abuse? How do you proclaim release to them? How do you proclaim release to the captives? By your words, your actions, and your use of your time and your talents. Jesus came to recover sight to the blind. Do you have blind friends who need your eyes to see? Who are those in your world who cannot see beyond themselves or their situations? Have you allowed Jesus to open your eyes? How do you help people see with your words, with your actions, by your healing hand, by your compassion? Jesus came to liberate the oppressed. I need to spend a little more time on this one. Who are the oppressed in our world? Who suffers because they weren't born to who or what circumstance? who's crying out for liberation and continues to be put down or worse, put in their place? How are you liberating the oppressed by your words and actions, by your daily service? Finally, Jesus says, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Another way that we say that is, I have come to proclaim that God's time is now. Isaiah ends his passage differently, if you know from Isaiah 61. Isaiah says, I have come to announce the time of the Lord's vengeance. Jesus changes that. He says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How are you sharing the Lord's favor with all people? How are you doing so in your word and your actions? How is your witness the same as the witness of Jesus Christ? Now Jesus was willing to fight to share good news with people who had never heard it. 
He fought and He died to save sinners like you and me. Ultimately, He defeated death. He defeated sin. And He tells His followers to continue this work to partner with Him in this redemption story. This week, how are you going to do what Jesus did? Are you ready to fight for things that actually matter? Will you preach good news, proclaim freedom, help the blind see, liberate the oppressed, and announce that the time is now when God's kingdom is a reality? Amen. Let's join together in an act of prayer. I remind you, uh, during our offering time and our offering song, feel free to fill out a prayer request or light a candle, but let's join together in a a time of uh, prayers of the people. I remind you what this looks like is I will say something, and then at the end of my statement, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you will say, hear our prayer. Very good. Let us pray. And at the end of that prayer, we will pray the Lord's Prayer. So just follow along here on the screen. Let us pray. Lord, we come gathered together lifting up prayers for those who you came to seek and save. Jesus, we pray for the poor. Allow us to share good news with them. Challenge us to fight against poverty and hunger in whatever forms they take. Lord, in your mercy. Jesus, we pray for prisoners, those in, those in cells of greed and addiction, those in our jails and prisons, those in prisons of fear and abuse. Help us offer freedom to all people in your name. Lord, in your mercy. Jesus, we pray for the blind, those physically unable to see. Grant them healing if it be your will and allow us to be their eyes. We pray for those with spiritual blindness. Remove the cloud of doubt and darkness so that they may see your guiding light. Lord, in your mercy. Jesus, we pray for the oppressed. Do not allow our words or actions or thoughts be used to spread oppression. Allow us to offer liberation to all those in need, and liberate our hearts from evil and hatred. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, this is the time of your favor. Send your Holy Spirit to guide and teach us. Move us every day closer to your kingdom, and let all of our work be for your glory. Amen. And so we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, which will be on the screen, in the traditional language. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us join together in the uh, receiving of our tithes and offerings for the work of our church. And while we do that, we will uh, reflect and sing together, Grace Like Rain.